Well, let me just say this. Uh, we've been in this series called Headspace for the last few weeks, and uh, we've had a huge response. Um, it, we've been so encouraged just to hear the feedback from so many people who've talked to us and just kind of shared um, how this series has really ministered to them and challenged them and helped them in so many different ways. And last weekend uh, on Mother's Day, my wife, Michelle, I'll have to just confess, she killed it. She slayed it last Sunday on Mother's Day. That's a day to slay it right there on Mother's Day. But, uh, but she talked so um, eloquently about reframing our thoughts and how we choose to refra reframe the way that we think. And so today, I really want to conclude our series on Headspace. And, um, you know, here's what we do know if you're visiting with us, perhaps for the very first time, and you haven't had a chance to hear some of the previous messages, they're online. You can take advantage of them online. But here's what we know. We know this, and that is that at the end of the day, um, it's impossible to live a positive life with a negative mind. We also know that the battles of life are typically won or lost in the mind. And there's absolutely no way in the world you can change your life until you first learn how to change the way that you think. And so what we're learning through this series is we're learning how to control the thoughts that ultimately control our lives. And so we've been learning specifically from the Apostle Paul. We've looked at various passages from Paul the Apostle. And we're going to learn specifically from another um, passage in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have our app or your notes, you want to go ahead and pull those out. But we learned that Paul the Apostle had a vision. His dream was to go to the city of Rome. It was kind of the epic center that, uh, of so much power and influence. And he wanted to go there and he wanted to preach the gospel and so it was in the fulfillment of his dream, going, finally getting to Rome. And while he's there preaching the gospel, unfortunately gets arrested for preaching the gospel. And so therefore the preacher became a prisoner. And so here he was in a prison cell in Rome. And he could have easily chosen to allow his mind to race to the worst case scenario. Because in many respects he was chained to a prison guard, a Roman guard. He also uh, was probably waiting for his death sentence so his future didn't really look very bright. In fact, Paul the Apostle could have allowed his mind just to be all negative and gloom and doom. But instead, he chose to shift the way he thought. In fact, he wrote a, a letter to a little small group of people uh, just living in a little small community called Philippi that represented his spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. It was a little church called the church at Philippi. And he wrote his brothers and sisters in Christ a note and while he's encouraging them he wraps up his letter to his spiritual family and here's what he said because through the entire process what he's underscoring is the theme of joy and you thought how in the world you think how in the world can a guy who's waiting his death sentence to be filled with joy in light of his situation and circumstances because it was the way he chose to frame his circumstances so he's sharing these final words with his friends. And he said in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9, he said, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your, your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8. Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, notice, let's say it out loud, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then notice, and the God of what? Say it out loud. Peace will be with you. Some incredible truths in that passage of Scripture. And I want to ask you a question. And I'll testify by raising my hand first on this one. How many of you struggle from time to time with what I call runaway thoughts? In other words, you allow your mind to suddenly shift in a direction that suddenly fills in the blank. And what you're filling in the blank with is the absolute worst case scenario. You know what I'm saying? Where all of a sudden, it may not be true, but you've already made the decision in your mind that whatever the situation or circumstance is, it's horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just allow our minds to suddenly just take off and we go in this certain direction. And it has a profound effect on our lives. Why? Because suddenly those thoughts now begin to control what we do and how we do it. I'll never forget the summer of 2002. Our daughter, Rebecca, her life was forever changed on that particular day. The reason why we vividly remember we were actually on a vacation as a family. Our children were very young. Uh, Rebecca, at the time, she was probably only about five, six years of age. So in this moment, there was breaking news that came on the television, and there she was taking in the news about a little girl named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Smart who was kidnapped, an intruder in the middle of the night, uh, crawled through the window, kidnapped this little girl. She went missing for nine months. But it was in this moment on headline national news, breaking news, where our daughter, Rebecca, she listened to that, she internalized that, and she instantly became extremely fearful. To the point, fast forward, even as she continued to grow older, she had a hard time just being uh, in places, you know, where it was dark. At night, as a little girl, she just struggled with going to bed and sleeping through the night. As a matter of fact, she would get up in the middle of the night, we would be asleep in our bed, and so as Michelle and I would be lying in bed, you would just kind of feel this presence. She would just stand there over our bed and she would always kind of like sigh, like, so you could kind of hear because she was breathing. It was her way of getting our attention. And so we fought through this year after year. And it was crazy because that, as she continued to grow as, as a teenager, she still struggled. She became very fearful and frightened. She was very timid about a lot of different things because she was insecure with a lot of those fears, those phobias. And she was even terrified of the thought. Well, we noticed that she had some talent, some singing ability, and we encouraged her to take the stage and take a microphone. She was just terrified of that. She couldn't mentally, she had a hard time overcoming that. And through the years, we worked with her. and We kind of processed a lot of things with her. And I'll share something here in a few moments that we're very thankful for that God has done in her life. But let me just say this. I do know that there are situations and circumstances that, if you're anything like me, that can create fear, uncertainty, 
causes us to worry, maybe creates anxiety. And because of all the stress and the burdens that we carry, sometimes those things in and of themselves can weigh us down. And here's the reason why those things are so important, and more importantly, why we have to learn how to control those unhealthy thoughts. And the reason why is because of the theme, you know, key thought, if you will, that we've been talking about each and every week throughout this series, and it goes like this. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. So repeat that. Your life, my life, our lives will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. Now, that can be a good thing if your thoughts are good, if your thoughts are productive, if your thoughts are positive, if your thoughts are good and true and right and pure. That can be a good thing. However, it's a bad thing if your mind races to the negative, if it becomes toxic or unhealthy or destructive and unproductive to the negativity of those things that we've allowed to now control our minds or to ultimately control our lives. Now, one of the things that happens is that so often our lives become paralyzed by fear. Fear provokes the worry. It's the stress. It's anxiety. It's all those things that suddenly we begin to, again, race to the worst case scenario, jump to conclusion that everything's going to end up bad. Why is that? Well, what's interesting is that there is a little almond-shaped part of our brain, and it's called the amygdala. And the amygdala was designed by God. It's actually a good thing. God put it in our brain when he created us for the sheer purpose of warning us of harm or danger. In other words, it's the fear part of our brain. So therefore, anytime there is something that, you know, that is harmful to us or we perceive as danger, something that creates uncertainty, our amygdala kicks in and the fear factor, if you will, suddenly begins to produce this adrenaline that rushes through our emotions, our physical bodies, now to the point to where we're reacting. Why? Because of the amygdala has kicked in and has created fear, which is warning us of harm or danger. Let me give you a little example of how this worked many years ago. In our lives, when Michelle and I were actually one night trying to sleep once again, and as we were sleeping in the middle of the night, we heard something by the window, by our bed, that sounded as though somebody was taking off the screen off of our window. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. So as I lied there, as I was lying there in the bed, and I was listening to, you know, this, this, this noise that sounded like somebody was trying to get in our window, I reached over, I, I patted Michelle, I woke her up, and we laid there in the dark, and I said, are you hearing this? She said, yes, what is that? It sounded exactly like somebody was trying to jiggle the, the little screen off of the windowsill and get inside of our house. So I told Michelle, I said, look, here's what we need to do. Because we had these blinds that were closed, of course. They had these blinds on the window. So I told Michelle, I said, what you need to do is you need to go over to the light switch. I had a floor lamp that was next to the bed. I literally took the floor lamp. I was holding it in my hand. And I told her, I said, on the count of three, once you turn on the lights... And so what I was going to do is I was going to take that floor lamp. And I was going to, you know, KO whoever it was that was coming in the window. I said, on oh, the count of three, she turned on the lights. And I, you know, threw the, the, the little blinds back. And sure enough, right there in the windowsill was a cat. And the cat goes, you know, jumped out, scared me to death. 
Man, you talk about adrenaline pumping. My heart was racing so fast. I mean, it was as though I was getting ready to bust out of my chest. And here I was, you know, trying to take on whoever it was, you know, coming in our house with this floor lamp. Like that was going to do something. But you know what that was? That was my amygdala kicking into gear. It went into overdrive. Why? Because the fear part of my brain kicked in, shooting adrenaline through my body. And what happened? What happened was, is I was reacting. Why? Because I sensed harm or danger. Now, because of that, again, the amygdala is a good thing because God designed it to do the very thing that it's designed to do. However, God also designed something known as the prefrontal cortex. It's the frontal lobe of the brain. Now, the reason why the frontal lobe, the, the prefrontal cortex is important is because it tells the amygdala to calm down and relax. It, it's the part of the brain that basically tells the fear part of the brain, hey, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. So what the, what the prefrontal cortex does is it actually allows us to reason, to think more logically and clearly. In other words, we can come up with a plan. We can, you know, we can actually make clear decisions based on the logical rationale that we're able to process through the prefrontal cortex. Now, the reason why all of this is important is because the amygdala just responds and basically reacts by default through something we've been talking about throughout this series called the neurological pathways. In other, words, in other words, we have the ability to think a thought, and after we think that thought, we have the capacity to think that thought again and again and again. And as a result, it becomes a neuropath neurological pathway. And again, that can be a good thing if you're thinking good thoughts. But it becomes a highly destructive thing, a negative thing, if we're constantly thinking unhealthy, toxic, destructive thoughts. So, what does God tell us? Here's what we know. What we know from God's word, God did not say in the Bible these words in John 14, 1. He did not say, let your heart be troubled. No, what did he say? He said, don't let your heart be troubled. God did not say through the angels who appeared to the shepherds on that star-filled night to give the announcement of the birth of Christ, the angels did not say, glory to God in the highest, stress, worry, and fear on earth, and bad will toward people. That's not what they said. No, 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 no. They said what? They said, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill toward all people. Paul, the apostle who we're talking about today, did not say, be anxious about everything. No. What did he say? He said, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what did he say? Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we experience the peace of God? How do we allow the peace of God to actually guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? You ready for this? You do it 
through the pathway of prayer. Now, the problem is, is that so often what we're guilty of, rather than prayer being our first response, we typically allow prayer to be our last resort. So what happens is, is that we get all worked up. We get stressed out. Why? Because of a situation or circumstances that are beyond our control. Let me just put it to you this way. Chances are, there are many of you in this room, you've encountered something in your life, maybe at a very early age. You had a negative traumatic experience in your life. Maybe it was parents' divorce. Maybe uh, abandonment. Maybe something happened to you that should never, ever happen to any human being. Maybe you were forced into something that you never asked for, that you never wanted, but you were forced into a situation that greatly impacted your life. It was a game changer in a negative way in your life. You've encountered situations and circumstances with people in your life that has wounded you greatly. And here's the problem. The problem is, is that the amygdala has created that sense of fear where you've allowed the lies of the enemy to become truth in your mind. In other words, here's what happens. The amygdala says and reminds you because of the fear that it provokes and the anxiety and the stress and the worry and all of the insecurity because of the unknowns and you look at the future and you look at situations, you look at relationships and all of a sudden, here's what happens. The amygdala is saying to you, you are what you did. Your future has now been defined by your past. And all of a sudden, we are creating these neurological pathways. Why? Because we're thinking unhealthy thoughts. We're believing the lies, and we're repeating those thoughts over and over in our minds where it's the default setting, and as a result, the way we think has now shaped the way we live. We no longer see ourselves the way God sees us. Why? Because we've chosen to believe the lies. And what we've got to understand is that that is not God's plan. And so when we, fear, when we have fear and we experience worry and we encounter stress and we encounter the anxiety of all the things going on in our lives and the unknowns, then here's what happens. What happens is, is that we suddenly become overwhelmed by Everything that we can't control, rather than going to God and saying, God, I can't control the situation. In fact, the situation has taken control of me. But God, I am coming to you. It's not my last response. God, I'm coming to you as my first response. You know, if we would just learn to take our prayers to God, if we would learn to take our, our worries to God, do what Paul said. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, every circumstance, what do he say? Let your request be made, be made known to God. Take your request to God. And then what does he do? He replaces it with what? With the peace of God, which does what? Which guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. You know, it's been said, and I find this to be interesting, that... Scientists have actually learned in the last several decades that the brain is no longer fixed after adolescence. They at one time believed that once a person uh, reached adolescence, basically the brain was formed. It was set. It was fixed. They later discovered that that was not true. In fact, they refer to it as neuroplasticity. In other words, what they've learned through research now is that the brain actually evolves. The brain actually is growing. 
In other words, those neuropathways, when we think a thought, has the ability to think that thought again and again and again. So the brain is always processing. The brain is always evolving. Now here's what's important. There's also another term known as neurotheology. What is neurotheology? Well, we all know that theology basically means that is the study of God, but there's also something known as spiritual neuroscience. Now, what is spiritual neuroscience? This is a fact. Listen to this. Spiritual neuroscience is the study of the relationship we have with God and the brain. You ready for a little spoiler alert? You ready for this? Prayer literally changes the brain. Here's what's powerful. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and if you've never heard of Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I highly encourage you to YouTube her, get her books. In fact, she wrote, she, all of her books have been incredible, um, I mean, like life-altering books for people. And the reason why, in fact, here's what, she dis, here's what she reveals in her book called Switch on Your Brain. She says, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. What does that mean? That simply means that prayer can not only heal the hurts of our lives, but prayer can heal our brains from the negative traumatic experiences that we've had to endure through perhaps most of our lives. And so rather than allowing those hurts to create negative, toxic, and become even neurological pathways that have repeated themselves to the point of being our default system of allowing the lies to infiltrate our minds which control our lives. What this is saying is that, listen, there is not only biblical facts, there is scientific facts that if we will just turn our worries over to God, God literally can help us heal from our hurts and heal our minds. And the Bible actually calls it the renewing of the mind. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And then it says, then you will be able to test and to prove that God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. So why do we stress? Why do we worry? Why do we have these anxious, uh, these anxious fearful thoughts? Let me tell you why. Because our amygdala hijacks us. It goes into overdrive when we jump to the worst-case scenario, when we're being threatened, when we have this sense of fear of the unknown, of all the things that we can't control, now we're hijacked by the amygdala. So how do we do it? How do we overcome that? Well, if you don't overcome it, you know what the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle Paul from a spiritual perspective, from a theological perspective, simply is saying, hey, you, then you're allowing your life to be controlled by worry and fear and stress and anxiety, which he says is sin. Listen to this. What is worry? Here's the definition. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. That's what sin is. Here's what Paul said in Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Those who are dominated, those who are controlled, dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. 
So letting your sinful nature control your mind does what? It leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind does what? It leads to life and peace. So instead of being dominated by fear and worry and anxiety, because of the uncertainties and the unknowns and the things that we can't control, here's what we do. What we do is we take the frontal, prefrontal cortex and we say, hey, here's the logical, rational part of our brain. We say, hey, amygdala, you literally take the amygdala by you know what, whatever you want to call it, and you say, no, 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 I'm not letting you go there. You're not going to feed me with those lies anymore. So what do we do? We take the rational part, we take the negative part, and we take it all and we literally make it come into submission to God. And that's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Why? Because the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and what do we do? We make it obedient to Christ. So how does all this apply to our daily lives? Let me tell you how this works. And I'm using my own personal life as an example because as I stated at the very beginning, I'm preaching to myself today because I don't claim to have all this stuff figured out. It's a work in progress. But here's what I'm learning. Here's what God is showing me and teaching me. And I, I have a feeling you're probably going to relate to this. I allow myself to have a lot of worries. You know, financial challenges, struggles, <laughs> relationships, just all the difficulties. The things that are beyond my control, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think about it, I dwell upon it, stew upon it. What does it do? It creates fear, uncertainty, you get anxious, stress. You're just worried. And all of a sudden, it just consumes you. So what I do is I will often say, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to give my thoughts and my worries and my stress and my anxiety to you. So what do I do? I say, okay, well, I take one of my worries and I give it to God. And as I give it to God, I wait. Hour goes by, two hours goes by, God still hadn't done anything. So if you're anything like me, you know what I do? I say, God, I'm taking my worry back. And I'm going to think on it some more. And I'm going to stew on it some more. And I'm just going to dwell on it more. And what do I do? I allow my worries to become bigger than my God. So rather than allowing my worries to become bigger than my God, here's what we need to do. We need to allow our God to become bigger than our worries. We got to take our worries back. Hey, we got to give them to God. And we got to say, no, 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 I'm not going there anymore. Why? Because my God is bigger than my problems. My God is bigger than my worries. 
Listen, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could think or even imagine. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, then who in the world can be against me? With God, all things are possible. I'm going to trust in the promises and the power of God. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. God is bigger than my worries. That's what we have to do. So how do we get the peace of God? How do we win the war? How do we win the battle between the ears? How do we, how do we take control of our thoughts that have become hijacked by the amygdala? How do we take them back? How do we get them to surrender and become submissive to the power of God and the promises of God? We talked about this a few weeks ago. We said, you know, here's what we got to do. We got to name whatever it is, whatever thought, whatever, whatever toxic thought, whatever worry, whatever form of stress, whatever uncertainty, whatever it is that's creating our lives to be consumed by the negative, dominating, controlling thoughts, we got to name it. Why? Because if you can't, listen, if you can't, if you can't name it, you can't defeat it. So you got to name whatever it is. And then after you name it, what do you do? You write it down. So here's what you do. You write those thoughts and you put those worried thoughts into your God box. Because you're reminding yourself, no, 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 no. I'm not believing that anymore. So I've identified what it is. I'm writing it down. Now that I know what it is, because I've named it, now I can defeat it. What do I do? Now I replace it. What do I replace it with? I replace it with the truth. I replace it with the promises of God. So I take those worries, I name it, and then I write it down. And then I take those worries and I replace it, put it in the God box. I give them over to God. And now that I've replaced them, here's what I do. What I do is I simply now begin to declare the promises of God. I declare the truth of what God says about me. I declare the truth about what God says about my situation. I declare the truth about whatever it is. I declare it and then I believe it. That's what I do. And I walk by faith, not by sight. It's like I told the graduates a few moments ago in Proverbs 3. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll do what? He'll direct your paths. So three things and I want to pray. And that is this. So what do we do? You do what you can do. You do what you can do. So if you've got a marriage situation, get a counselor. Get a, get a marriage coach. Get a marriage mentor. Work through this. Do what you can do. If you're in a financial situation, get a financial advisor. Get a financial coach. Get somebody who can walk you through from A to Z. Come up with a plan. Do what you can do. If you've got a health problem, hey, do what you can do. Follow what the doctor's instructions are. Do what you can do. Put in your, fill in your own blank. Do what you can do. Number two, you give God what you can't do. You can't change your spouse, but God can. Can't change your financial situation, especially with some of the things that maybe are beyond your control, but God can. You may not be able to heal yourself, but God can heal your body as well as your mind. So you do what you can't do, you give God what you can't do, and you trust God no matter what. So what do you do? When you have those thoughts, what do you do? You name it. Then you write it down. Then you replace it. Then you declare it, and then you believe it. You name it, you write it, you replace it, you declare it, and you believe it. That's how we win the battle of the mind. Why is this important? Because your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Let's bow our heads.